0: This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.
1: Hey guys, my name is Lauren Garvey, founder of The Tech Hack, and I love fashion tech because it's always changing. There's always something new to master, and it keeps it fresh and exciting. From
0: New York City. You're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry.
2: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Mark Rako, and of course, uh, immediately in front of me via digital display is Mr. Pavan Ball of Bellwether Culture. How are you, sir?
0: Ayo, I am doing very well. Thank you, Mark.
2: Yeah, I don't know if you're of bellwether culture of, of fashion is your business, but maybe you're both. I'm not sure.
0: Or of mouth media. All yeah, the things. You're, you're
2: just of and World. That's <laughs> a pub and world.com everybody. Uh, I don't think that's a real thing. But anyway, uh, well, good to see you, bud. And joining us as a guest host on this show, so excited, is Alex Batdorf. She is uh, just a, a, a giant amongst... People, much less women, or Ooh. people in fashion, fashion tech, innovation—you name it. Um, Alex, welcome to the show. What a pleasure to have you behind the scenes here as a, as a host. And I, I, I love so much if you could give us a quick uh, peek into who you are, so that for context for the listener, if you Thanks. don't, if they don't Enjoy. know already.
3: Yeah, in- introduce me everywhere I go. I love it. <laughs> um, <good>. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm Alex Batdorf. I'm the founder and CEO of Get Shit Done. Um, we are the originators of the Fuck 4% movement, um, which means we're just helping female entrepreneurs gain more revenue share in their businesses. Um, so we move beyond only making up 4% of total business revenues. Um, and that actually came out of my experience scaling my, four, my first two former companies, which were actually in the fashion tech space. So that's what, I, what I'm all about.
2: Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm so excited for this conversation, and I should just mention before we introduce our guest, uh, I I should mention, I wish you were just more guarded in your branding, and it just wasn't so conservative.
3: We are so (laughs) humble.
2: (laughs) Uh, And of course, Lauren, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm sorry it took so long to get to you in the introduction rounds here, but uh, save the best for last. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, guys. I appreciate that.
2: And uh, Lauren, maybe uh, maybe a, a great place to start, uh, if I could just lead it off here, is um, maybe a strange question, but I'm sort of interested in how you might attack this. Where do you think your position in the fashion or fashion technology universe is right now? Uh, and how maybe did that change from let's say earlier in the year or last or last year, even how did, how did, how did that, how did that orbit change?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I'm the founder of the Tack hack, which is um, a super niche play in the discount space. My customers are equestrians. And um, if you don't know anything about horses, the one thing that most people do know is that riding is expensive. So I started this business to try to make um, horseback riding more affordable for folks doing the sport um obviously um there's a lot of equipment involved involved in riding so there's tack which is the leather stuff that we put on the horse and then there's apparel for the rider so there is a fashion component to riding like anything else There's sort of like the cool brands um that people love to be in i tend to handle more of the premium end of things and um in terms of specifically your question, going into COVID this year, I had no idea what to expect um, in terms of where the business would go. I think we were all in the same place. Like a I this going to impact revenue. And interestingly, and I bet a lot of your guests who also cater to uh, you know, either athletes or who are selling at leisure, my sales have actually increased because the one thing people are doing more of is spending more time Participating in sport outside, so um, so that's been the surprise for me of 2020. Just that instead of shrinking, my business has grown.
0: What what complexities come with that growth, especially during a time where the you know the the movement of goods has been dramatically restricted?
1: Yeah, sure. So especially for a discount retailer, right? Like I um, have less control over. Um, How I source inventory than folks who are just kind of able to pick up the phone and say, hey, like I need another size run of that particular item. So for me, um, it's been interesting. So, like, there have been waves of there was sort of the initial panic um, where uh, during COVID when that was first really peaking, where I had the opportunity to liquidate an entire tax shop. So I, I was able to really capitalize on. Um, just like a total inventory windfall mm. and didn't know if those opportunities were going to keep happening. And um, you know, interestingly um, for my sport, um, this summer we ended up, by me, I mean by industry, ended up being able to move forward um, with competition in a way that people, I don't think had anticipated. So um, early spring, I was sitting on a lot of offers to, you know, a, retailers and brands saying like, hey, are you interested in buying this inventory out? And then summer hit and suddenly people were holding. People didn't want to give up their inventory because now there are concerns about manufacturing. Um, A lot of people canceled orders. So people are nervous about where they're going to be able to source that inventory going into 2021. So it's it's been interesting. It's been a roller coaster, especially for my business model, which is sort of we out
3: here scrapping. So, <laughs> I find I find your particular business because you are a get shit done queen. So I know a lot about your business, but I find it particularly interesting for for two reasons. The first is it is infamous in retail in general that the summer months are trash. Like I remember running my former businesses, and when July August hit. It was like, what are we going to do without discounting everything? Because we didn't want to, we weren't competing on price. And then the second thing is you have this narrative happening in parallel with COVID around businesses are on the brink of collapse, right? But now you are in an interesting position that not only are, have you been growing from the beginning of this, but um, like from literally right before COVID through COVID and still in COVID, but also you were doing it in the summer months, which is usually, that would be a double whammy for most people. So can you walk us through what is kind of going on in the background here for you to to see that because so many businesses right now are trying to, you know, grasp for dear life. What are you doing differently? Sure.
1: So the first thing to know about, my industry, my sport in general, is that um, largely speaking, our products are pretty much evergreen. You do have some fashion items on the apparel side. Maybe it's like, maybe a designer decides to do like an interesting piece of outerwear or whatever. But for the most part, it's like tan breeches, maybe like something colorful if you're just taking a riding lesson, but certainly not for showing you're in tan or white four horse show. And then on top, you're wearing either like a black or a navy technical stretch blazer so what's interesting about that is unlike a lot of the sort of fashion labels who are right like they don't they want you know they want fall 2019 off their books they now want spring summer 20 off their books for my industry it's sort of like a buy and hold isn't a terrible thing like i have um i have the coats, which are sort of the competition jackets in my inventory that are five years old and that are just as desirable now as they would have been five years ago. So that's an interesting thing. My, there isn't as much um, variation from season to season in my industry, which is interesting. So in addition to having more or less ever, evergreen product, there's sort of an evergreen circuit. Um, we call our, our sport has horse shows. A lot of these horse shows end up being multi-month circuit circuits and they start in january and they end in november so um while brands do um like a fall winter and then a spring summer collection on the apparel side of things they're pushing it they're pushing it in this sort of like annual annual basis mm-hmm. in terms of the horse show calendar so like you have like a winter circuit down south during the summer you have a summer circuit so there's no there's never really a break people and it's a sport where like People are constantly wearing their items out. So um, they're constantly needing to replenish and replace. So there isn't really like a seasonal time of year where you're only buying during December or you're only buying, you know.
0: But do you see the fashion evolving? So like, you know, uh, being uh, an avid watcher of the Real Housewives of every city, um, (laughs) you know, you find that. You, you find that a lot of the fashion, like you know, the, the spectators are also wearing, um, you know, the rider gear, let's say, or variations of that. And I'm wondering if that's that design aesthetic and influences spilling over into the the technical side as well. I mean, and to your point, like the Hamptons classic, right up here yep. in New York, is Look at you, I mean,
1: some horse show knowledge.
0: <laughs> from New York, man. I'm, uh, you know, and so, but like you know, it's it's a huge event. Same with the I think it's the Vuv Click does one in yep. uh, nearby as well. A Yeah. The Polo Classic over there. And it it, it is a fashion show. You know what I mean? Like that is a fashion, full on fashion event. And I'm wondering how that aspect touches what you do, if if at all.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like, first of all, it's a whole lifestyle, right? Like Mm -hmm. Ralph Lauren, Hermes, I mean, there's some iconic fashion houses that it's are either their legacy is rooted in equestrian sport, like Hermes, or um, it's, or the label like, like a Ralph Lauren has been created to really bring that lifestyle to life and make that lifestyle accessible. Um, So you see equestrian influence in, in high fashion. Um, And in terms of my sport, what's interesting is sort of like, you know, Downton Abbey sort of classic, like foo-foo, jolly old England, fox hunting aesthetic, is still like an influence for what we wear today it's just been upgraded now um so now you see you see equestrian fashion taking a lot of hints from you know Mm -hmm. modern modern technical apparel so um there's some really interesting brands there's a brand called Cavalleria toscana out of italy Um, another one called vestrum out of italy that are doing like i mean they're cutting a mean jacket like you could you could rock it. They're all yeah. walkable. You throw them in a the washing machine, but they, I mean, you look slick in them. They're gorgeous. <laughs> uh, yeah, so a lot of a lot of technical innovation happening, especially with respect to the fabrics in my industry.
0: You alluded um to a buy and sell strategy. So you're wholesaling or you're buying on wholesale and selling it on retail, just as a traditional retailer would, as opposed to maybe a dropship model or affiliate or something like that. So you're our true retail marketplace. Um, but I also noticed that you started doing consignment and I'm not sure where along your path you launched consignment.
1: Yeah. So um, consignment is actually the root of my business. That's where I got started. Um, I was luckily enough when I just started this business to be in touch with one of the retailers that I used to shop with when I was a little kid, actually riding. And, um, she told me that if I brought a U-Haul to Chicago, um, she would give me her entire tax shop on consignment. And that woman, I would take a bullet for her, her name's Nips, or as I like to call her Nipsky Hustle. And she, um, oh, basically... I love <laughs> Yeah. Perfect. She Perfect. like gave me an entire tack shop on consignment and like then introduced me to like I mean, most of my vendors that I work with on a consignment basis, these specialty retailers, have all been word of mouth through her, um, because it is such a relationship driven industry. And now my cash flow is such that I can start making some strategic pur- purchases in terms of like the overstock or um, liquidating time. So, so even
0: like the front facing e-com experience that you have up there, these are these are mostly consignment items that you have in inventory that you're shipping out.
1: Yep, that's correct. Yep. Okay. Great. Primarily, I'd say I'd say about. 70% of my inventory is consignment. And when I say consignment, I mean, new attack. I mean, we do have some pre-owned stuff on the site, but it's mostly new with tags that I'm getting directly from brands or from retailers.
0: Copy that. So are you almost organizing this as store is in store, like allowing, I guess your retail partners or these Indies to kind of build out their experiences like a Poshmark maybe, um, or is, um, or are you kind of, uh, handling that whole thing, uh, front to back.
1: I actually take possession of the inventory, and I okay. do it for a specific reason. Um, so, in my in my industry, these um, these specialty retailers who pop up at the horse show. I mean, they were doing pop up before pop up was pop up, right? Like huh. I spoke earlier to the fact that it's a sport where you have these you know circuits, these horse show circuits, going year round. So, like, a lot of them, they'll, like, start in West Palm Beach during the winter, and they'll stay there till January to March. They're in West Palm, and then they go up to Atlanta. and I mean, Hmm. they're on the road. They hire these people to ship these, like, tricked-out trailers. So, long story short, where, like, their pain point is when they have clearance inventory, um, they're posting up at a horse show, and it's sitting out in front of their trailer. They're schlepping this stuff around they need shelf space. Like it's even though they're big semi trucks and um, they are very limited in terms of space. So they work with me because, you know, I take that off of their hands and it's worth it to them.
3: I'm curious because there is this evolution. I feel like it happens every 10 years. If it before 2008, it was um, the rise of the smart devices, right. That disrupted the retail industry. You had e-commerce, you had people having, you know access anywhere on their phone and then that disrupted brick and mortar. Now we're in a completely different era where there's a disruption happening on all angles. I mean whether you are e-commerce or you're brick and mortar, um brick and mortar being hit again double whammy. So what are you seeing in your industry that in terms of how they're responding to this this particular moment in time? You had mentioned before that you actually had to buy out a tax shop, which is amazing, the fact that you were in that cash position to do it. But what are you seeing, both the good and bad, in terms of how your industry is evolving to the the moment we're in?
1: Yeah. So I'm seeing, I'll speak to the the bad first. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of people, a lot of independent retailers, specialty retailers, who think that the solution is to launch a website for their store and a lot of them are getting taken for a ride by developers or like
3: front-end designers oh i hate that Who are like
1: oh yeah like it'll be thirty thousand dollars for us to build out your shopify store and they don't know any better and they're writing these checks and then they don't understand that it's one thing to have a website but it's another thing to actually make that website relevant so Mm -hmm. i've seen a lot of people in my space who were kind of naive about what a website presence would entail for them. Um, so part of what I help them do is say, like, look, focus on, like, these these folks have such specialty knowledge. I mean, it's, like a, it's a sport where, like, there's just a lot of knowledge involved in terms of them helping their customers. So part of what I do is I say, like, look, focus on being that knowledge source for your customers. Focus on giving them, like, the highest level of service. Let me take care of your sales rack and your online presence as far as your sales inventory is concerned. Um, on the, in terms of what they're doing well, um, I think they're all just leaning, leaning into service, leaning into customer service, like mm. really being there for their customers during this time. Cause their customers are freaking out. Like a lot of them are not able to, you know, like, I mean, I think to a large extent, my industry is a little bit recession proof. Um, it's, the most part very high net worth individuals but um i think that like how we're all getting through this is kind of being there for i know that sounds corny but like kind of being there for one another and i'm seeing like my retailers are just there for their customers right now and i think that that's pretty special and something that like really leaning into the community aspect of this sport because it is it's a relationship driven industry and i think that that's where they're really shining right now
0: you know in the in the beginning um you know, as COVID, when I say the beginning, as, as COVID earlier set COVID kind of, um, I guess, effect, how are you dealing with um, like payment and collections and things of that nature from folks that, you know, went from probably good standing to really shaky ground?
1: I don't really deal with that end of it. So um, half of them work with me on a consignment basis, and they're happy because I'm writing them checks right now. I mean, like, I have a lot of people who didn't really have a great website presence and I was sending them checks when they mm-hmm. weren't able to even even open their stores. It's not really an issue for me. It's sort of like I've been I was pretty conservative with making sure I had a lot of cash on hand and I was able to make some strategic buys when they presented themselves and I like I'm I'm not really having a problem with receivables right now. I'm sort of the one writing checks to people in terms of like
3: the consignment. Mm-hmm. I'll send, you, I'll
0: send you my W9 right after we get off this. It's fine.
3: <laughs> Queen status. She's like, I don't really have an issue with getting one. Like, so who yeah. are you talking to? <laughs> dude?
0: I, I've been writing checks. I don't understand. <laughs> I'm confused.
3: <laughs> Casual baby.
2: That's right. All right. Uh, coming up, you're going to hear Lauren talk about the emerging power and a big power it is of niche right after this.
1: Every business has at least one big pivotal moment. The moment when you say, okay, we're at this turning point, so then what? I'm Lahari Neil Paretti, founder of LN Accounting Advisor. I hope you'll join me each week on my podcast, Then What, as we talk with successful business leaders who push past their business's biggest, then what moments and succeed in an even bigger way because of effective leadership and solid business practices. It's inspiring and deeply useful information for any entrepreneur. Subscribe to Then What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify,
3: and wherever you find the best podcasts. So, Lauren, we've we've talked about this, you know, a a few times when you were actually considering raising capital and you decided not to, which I think was a very smart move. And I think there has been this taint, tainted image around niche, because with the rise of VC backed Mm. companies, it's about going out and saturating a market grabbing everything everything. It's a grab all. And I think that works for a very small percentage of companies because really a very small percentage of companies will get institutional capital, but now we're completely neglecting the power that is niche. When you're able to lean in to a particular group of people and be able to serve them in such a way, and you mentioned this before, it's that these tax shops and people are able to lean into their expertise. And I feel like consumers really need that and want that. So what are you seeing as the opportunity here in niche, in the rise of niche in your particular category, or even what you're seeing in retail um, at large?
0: Yeah. Also, Lauren, just to tag on that, I also want to hear if, you, if you're seeing or experiencing any limitations because of the same.
1: Yeah, sure. So I, a friend of mine said when I was first starting this business, he actually works in venture capital. And I was like, I don't know, like, is it scalable? I mean, this is like 2000 oh. whatever. 18. And I was like, do you think it's scalable enough? He's like, fuck that. There are rishas and niches. <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, I love that. Basically, like, you know, from an insider's perspective, was like, never raise. <laughs> so, um, look, I mean, I think we're seeing with a lot of these businesses that have, frankly, Blown up. And I don't mean in a good way. I mean in a bad way. In a, Macy,
0: bad. In, a, in a Macy's way.
1: Yeah. No, not.
0: In, or, a, in, a way. <laughs> in a WeWork way. In a WeWork.
1: In a lot of ways. Um, I mean, I think the cost... Like, there's like this whole formula, like raise a shit ton of money, and then spend a shit ton of money on ads, and then ads got more expensive, cost per acquisition got more ridiculous. expensive, and it's like, mm-hmm. man, it's just back and when you're when you're in a niche market like I am like you guys my customers are the most fun people in the world to market to Mm -hmm. they're obsessed with their sport like all they want to do are like you know like cute pictures of ponies and really nice pictures of models wearing awesome riding clothes on Instagram all day long like they love it but I don't need to reach them on Instagram like I know where my people are Mm -hmm. I can like my sport ladders so nicely I can find them geographically like every single person who rides in this country rides at a barn and that barn is led by a trainer and the trainer takes that entire barn to a horse show so like this is something that you know Mm. I love talking to Alex about when I was in her get shit done Accelerator. Is like there are tactics to tap into especially when you're in a niche market that aren't just like spend a shit ton of money on facebook and instagram and don't get me yeah. wrong like i'm doing that as well but like that's not my only bag of tricks
0: yeah so. the the grassroots mm-hmm. becomes so important or, or powerful as well as yeah. just the storytelling ability right well when you're so focused yeah. the the story's so clear right
1: yeah for sure yeah. i mean let's say my cac is like i don't know let's say on a good day it's like 20 you know for $5, I can send my customers a cute tack hack custom pair of riding socks in the mail. And they're like, oh my God, I got free socks in the mail. And like, they're so cute. And I can, I mean, that's just like, I've saved myself, you know. 50, yeah. Yeah. Yes.
3: So, and it's the just, service piece.
1: Yeah, for sure. Omotenashi, forever, all day long. Japanese service yeah. for life. <laughs> yes. I, that is
3: surprising surprise me back, and delight. Like, Yep. The things that I really loved, you know, running my last two companies in the e-com space was we had an amazing retention rate and a lot of that had to do with the service piece. We were in the VC backed space. However, the things that we would not, we would not compromise were service. And I saw that being compromised as soon as companies started scaling really fast, that went to shit. And even something as small as writing a handwritten note, it takes time, but I would much rather build in that time cost to retain customers and have them feel this is extra special because now everyone is in... Uh, one of my favorite strategy books is called um, Blue Ocean Strategies. Everyone's in a red ocean right now. They're competing mm-hmm. on price. They're trying to beat out Amazon. I am so tired of people in retail saying, "Oh my God, we're competing with Amazon." I'm like, you are missing the boat. You are yeah. not. You are not going to win with Amazon. So stop trying to compete with them.
0: How do you work with it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah. Ways that Amazon can't compete with you on, like yep. Amazon can't. Yeah. Amazon isn't going to ever intimately know an individual customer. Like I have customers where I'm like. Oh my god! Hey, girl. Like, how did you like? How did you like? You bought from us. How's everything going? How's your horse doing? I saw your daughter bought a new pony. Like, that's just
2: something
3: that I mean.
2: I've never heard Amazon say "Hey, girl" for sure.
3: Hey, girl. Amazon also doesn't really do fashion that well. They've been trying. Like, they are they are a tech logistics company. That's what they do well. I think you're you're leaning into a really good point here. Is that well? What can you be doing that you're good at? instead yeah. of looking at, well, we're going to die at the feet of Amazon, which actually you're not because I don't go to Amazon no. to find fashionable clothing.
0: I mean, look, the the, the biggest converter in, in marketing, digital marketing is email, right? So, I mean, how much, yeah. how, like, and that's all one-on-one communication. That's personal as it gets, right? Yeah. Um, how are you reselling? Like, what is your kind of um, your customer, like the standard customer journey, I guess, if you will, with uh, with TechHack?
1: Do you mean on the like on my on the vendor side of things or on uh, no
0: the customer side? I mean, are you seeing uh, most of your folks are repeat buyers? Um, but if so, say for instance, if I'm buying, um, you know, maybe that blue blazer that you mentioned, uh, am I coming back uh, for that same product again, or do you need to innovate on product constantly to continue, um, I guess, delivering value and receiving value from your customer?
1: Well, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. The hardest part of my business model is always ensuring that I have um, enough enough variety of product in stock um, to make sure that I can convert. So what's been interesting um, in the past six months to see, I've, I've been able to test a lot um, in ways uh, that I wouldn't have been able to do. I think before COVID, I think a lot of people have shut their doors and it has allowed me to test product in a way that I hadn't had the opportunity to test before. What I mean by that, so no surprise here as an overstock retailer, I'm getting sort of like the tails of, of product sizes. So I might be getting the super extra small sizes and I might be getting the super extra large sizes, but a lot of times my retailers have sold the size small, the size medium. Right. So, um, so what the data is telling me is that my cart value, my average order value is like two fifty. Um, I get a lot of traffic to the site and my, my return customer rate is beautiful. And, my traffic is beautiful. My cart value is beautiful, but my conversion rate's low. It's the best. You know, it's the
0: beautiful. It's great. It's gorgeous. It's the It's so great. One. Until it's the <laughs>. <laughs> best. It's the best. It's the best fucking conversion deg- you ever <laughs> oh, no, see. Milk, milk. Oh, no one converts like I convert. That's
1: right. Make America
0: convert again.
1: Make America convert again. So, but what's been interesting is I had the chance to test. So my, my best-selling product is riding pants because mm-hmm. you need a lot of them. They wear they wear out, so you're always replacing them. Um, it's like jeans, right? Yeah. So I had the ch- opportunity to test. Um, I bought out this D2C brand. I bought a, just a shit ton of breeches in all different sizes and mm. colorways. And that was crazy to see. So so for me, yes, the hardest nice. part of my business model is sourcing those key products, but what's exciting is for me, I get to play and test all of this data from mostly from consignment, which I haven't had to outlay any cash for, yeah. and get to see when I launch my own house label to fill in those product gaps, um, what I should be launching, and and the, you know what my size runs should be, et cetera. So that's been exciting. Is people. that on the horizon? I mean, yeah. As soon as a girl can afford
3: it. Yeah.
0: Hey, girl. <laughs>
3: <laughs> hey, girl. Hey,
0: Amazon. Hey, Amazon. Hey,
3: <laughs> you, got, Amazon. you got you.
0: you handed so. out checks. Here's my W uh,
4: <laughs> he
2: so, nine. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you saying?
1: No, I was just gonna say, like, I mean, you see, like TJ Maxx, Nordstrom Rack, they all have house yeah. labels. Because it is. I mean, if you're discount, that's the yeah. hardest part of it is just getting those size runs, et cetera.
2: Yeah, on a on a different note, Lauren. uh, I'm wondering, you know, you, you play an important role in one corner of this particular market, uh, meaning equestrian and so forth, but there's obviously other businesses within that, within that industry. Uh, how are you seeing the opportunity, uh, for gathering insights and what else you might be able to do with that, that can lead to the the next, the next, you know, 2.0 for you guys?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, that was
2: beautifully okay. asked, don't
0: you think? That was just that was just beautiful, beautiful, best, asked, best 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 asked hour. question. Nobody nobody asks questions yeah. uh, better than you. Best. Better than me. That was not asked.
4: Well.
3: I got you. Thank you. Awesome. That was a huge ask,
0: <laughs> huge, huge, <laughs> huge question. That's
1: right. You know, I think my, my that was a huge question. <laughs> <laughs> my industry. Has-
0: <laughs> fuck, fuck that, you just sorry.
2: <laughs> what you hey, take? Why don't you go take, take five minutes, Lauren? We're just yeah. not done with the joke yet.
4: Sorry, <laughs> sorry Go ahead, <laughs> go ahead, Lauren. Um,
1: uh, you know, I think it's an interesting question. My industry has a lot of catching up to do in terms of becoming a little bit more modern in how in terms of how we retail. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think that i don't think my industry is there, I mean, like you guys like i'm like there are premium brands in my space that have never worked with an outlet before so like yeah. to them like overstock is a new concept like having someone to send their overstock is new they're not quite at like yeah. what the data play is yet but you know i'll be there waiting i'm gonna have it all ready for them when they yeah. want it do, do
0: you know do you think <laughs> that i most, think that's has your brand specifically permeated through uh, at this point like where where are you in terms of the the brand development side
1: uh, we're still developing. I mean, I still think I've got a ways to go in terms of developing brand awareness. But mm-hmm. what's been exciting to see is, um, I look at things. I look at key like word of mouth, like the fact that people are referring all of their friends to me. That's huge to me. That means yeah. that they're having a great experience. Um, and then what was really exciting, for example, uh, so I'm based in Traverse City, Michigan. Uh, as Alex knows, it's a lovely relationship. I really miss living in New York. Um, the the other,
0: think- the other Williamsburg.
1: Yeah. Hey, no, but I did Bravo. notice that your
0: your office is in uh, Williamsburg, Michigan.
1: Yes, the other Billysburg. The, it's the, the <laughs> Woodland Williamsburg. Um,
3: That's yeah. right. So
1: uh, part of the reason why I moved here is one of the longest horse show circuits of the year is five minutes away from my warehouse. Mm, ah. So in terms of being so able smart. to kind of hack that awareness... Um, this summer was an amazing summer because the horse show, against all odds, um, ended up going forward full capacity. And what was really exciting, the pros are sort of like the key to unlocking my industry. Mm-hmm. Like when you ride with a trainer, the trainer is sort of like the tastemaker. They tell you what brands to buy and all that. So um, I had I had the opportunity to actually get to know a lot of the trainers, the sort of tastemakers, and they were like psyched. They were like, wait a minute, how much is this? That's crazy. Why aren't you charging more? And I'm like, I'm making 70% margin. I don't need to charge more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's fine. It's an outlet. That's, yeah. that's what we do. So that was really exciting. Yeah. Um, so kind of like continuing, I think like obviously digital ads is a, is a big part of it, but like just kind of continuing to lean into, like there's so many content opportunities. There are so many opportunities to actually, be where my customers are physically,
3: um, it's exciting. The exciting thing about this is there's a lot of scale opportunities here in terms of directions you can go. And it's really refreshing to hear because mostly what we hear in the media right now is like, everyone's dying. But I'm like, I talk to a lot of businesses right now that are are really Mm -hmm. grasping and adapting to the opportunity that is now. I think of it as a detox. It's like all the shit's coming to the surface. And Mm -hmm. now you got to sift through it and figure out where you're going to play. And so for you, you have, I mean, great, great momentum right now and all these different directions to scale up even further. How do you think or have you thought through how you're going to manage scaling while still keeping the thing that makes you so special? Because like you said, you have a beautiful customer Mm -hmm. base, a beautiful AOV, a beautiful retention and my cat, c- c- my cat, com- n-
0: nothing's better than my cat.
3: Nothing's better than my cat, you know. The <laughs> best you know, cat ever. The best cat ever. So it's how do you make? How do you maintain that? Because I see companies do this often. I remember it, when I see like startup showcases and people are like the Warren Buffett quote of "What got us, you know, here's not going to get us there." And I'm like, that's bullshit in a lot of ways because sometimes there are elements you need to maintain to keep you getting to the next level that makes people come to you. So how are you how have you been thinking about managing scaling while not selling out pretty much.
1: I think like a big part of that is honestly surrounding myself with people who call me out on my bullshit. So like Alex <laughs> um I have a guy with um uh who helps me with um who helps me with my digital advertising. And he's an entrepreneur himself multiple times over and I do think that it's always I mean, I'm super susceptible to sort of that temptation of like, well, what if it could be this and um, and my people keep me real. So both Brock and Alex um, said, like, don't take your eye off the prize of like what's getting you here and what's helping you like break through to these key relationships that are going to be critical in order for you to be able to scale this. Um, And so, yeah. And at the same time, telling me, you know, keeping me honest about like, which part of my business isn't really serving me isn't sort of like, you know, parts of my business where the juice really isn't worth the squeeze. So like killing the pre-owned apparel part of my business, does it sell beautifully? Yeah, it does. Um, Do my customers shop new and pre-owned pretty much the same, like all things considered? They do like but it doesn't mean, I mean, the margins aren't there. It's a huge bottleneck operationally. So like, honestly, yeah, my answer is just surrounding Mm -hmm. myself with people who are like, dude, what are you doing? Or like, Hey, don't forget about this.
0: All right. Off tangent here. um, I was watching 60 minutes yesterday and they did a, a whole profile on the Wright family from Utah who are big rodeo guys. Like the, they had like nine professional rodeo riders in one family. Everyone's, you know, Uh, everyone's either a first cousin or a brother-in-law or whatever it is. And they just breed, um, you know, riders, rodeo riders. Now, the one thing that stood out to me is that I guess, um, the, the parents or whoever was, you know, tipped off this whole family on going down this path, uh, had invested $1,100 in a saddle, uh, for, um, you know, their son to ride and they come from very modest, um. Upbringings or 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 household where that was extremely uh, expensive, and they they invested in in his future, and then subsequently has really unraveled a whole breadth of opportunity for the family. I was looking at your site, man. Saddles go for two thousand, three thousand, four thousand dollars.
4: Yeah, like
0: yeah, what the hell's going on in a saddle? Like what what like. Shit. Yeah. What's going
3: on in your saddle? Yeah, like,
0: like, Yo, what's going on? What's going on with your saddle? There's saddles? some action in yeah. those saddles. I,
2: I, I think it's very evident that these are the yeah. best saddles in the world. Nobody yes. makes saddles like
0: I do. Right. And so forth. Yes.
3: Yeah. I mean, but,
0: but really, a very expensive sport to get into. No kidding. You
1: yeah. It's crazy. And it's also like, I mean, whatever. I love my people, but like it is. it is, it can be a, like a snobby sport too. There's a big conversation in the sport going on right now about accessibility and and like how do we open up the sport to more people and it can be like, pretty intimidating to kind of walk into I me mean, depending on where you are and like at what level you're walking into a horse show like i mean like it can take some cojones to walk in and be like oh yeah there's bill gates daughter like no big deal yeah it's a weird sport in that like yeah everyone wants to be wearing the quote unquote right thing or riding in the quote unquote right saddle. And like,
0: Was that she, a double entendre? Cause that was their last name. Cause that was very good. If
1: so. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> lean, <laughs>
0: lean with it, rock with it. You're fine. Subconsciously.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, it's, so it's interesting. It's like people, what, what I love about being a discount retailer in this space is like, I'm just like super floored by what my customers are willing to, to willing to do to be able to afford the sport. Like, yeah. mm. like, we're talking like moms working second and third jobs. We're talking like, mm. I mean, people who like really take a step back in terms of like the apartment they live in or whatever in order to be able to afford yeah. it. The average horseback rider spends $16,000 a year yeah. on their horse. Like, that's crazy, you guys. Yeah, you're so. giving a
0: little bit more accessibility to the sport, I guess, right? Yeah.
1: Hopefully. That's what the goal is.
0: Yeah. All right. This seems like a great moment
2: to pause briefly. When we come back, it's going to be time for off the grid questions where we get a little more personal with Laura. I feel like, I feel like we've been down some friendly, friendly path here as it is, but we're we're going to even Friendly friendly fire. Well, more friendly fire coming up with a round of off the grid questions right after that. Hey, Dresden, do you like to laugh?
1: Oh, Mark, heartily, heartily.
2: Elsie, do you like comedy?
3: Yeah. <laughs> I like to laugh at Elsie. <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> Well, you can
2: listen to funny people talking every week. It's a podcast, and we talk about humor and comedy, and honestly, we can barely get through a commercial, but... I promise you'll have a good time here. And we talk to amazing people, comedians, business leaders, inspiring people about their lives and about humor, about comedy. We play improv games. Babble. We
4: babble. We
3: talk about... uh, You'll be inspired and you'll laugh. (laughs) That's why he has a co-host. We have... (laughs)
2: That's right. We have great food, <laughs> celebrity stories, and we always play an improv game. So come on by. You'll have a great time. Funny people talking wherever the best podcasts
4: are found. <laughs>
2: Lauren, are you familiar with the Horse Radio Network? No. Okay. So I'm going to connect you what? with your permission. <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen.
4: That's a thing. I I love
2: it. I I met this guy that started it down at a a podcast, a media summit in Florida. Uh, It's the leading uh, online radio or podcast network for horse lovers worldwide. And they, they produce uh, many equine themed or based podcasts to choose from that cover different areas. That may be a tremendous resource for you to reach People in a very probably cost-effective way with high engagement.
3: That'd be so- awesome.
1: Well, you- Alex, Alex knows that. Like PR in my industry is really weird. It's all pay to play. Like it's right. not mm-hmm. normal. PR. I think,
0: I think you'll notice that about most, unfortunately, yeah. oh, most yeah. industries. Yeah yeah, 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 it's all bullshit. Is
1: that true for like that? Fa- is that true for like a lot of the like the sort of standard fashion brands as well? Forget, oh even even bu- even
0: business. Yeah. Really? Oh, you want it? Yeah. Oh, you want to be in Forbes? Cool, cool, cool. There's a it's yeah.
3: Fat like oh. until, unless you get unless yeah. you get like cool my way in, I was like, I am not fucking paying you guys. I became cool with oh. the editors and the contributors. Yeah. So oh, you want Good Amer-
0: Morning America? Them. Yeah, you want Good Morning America to feature your product? Cool, 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 cool.
3: Yeah.
4: yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, Oprah's list ain't getting a, a vig? Oh, cool, cool, cool. cool.
4: Yeah. Yep.
0: So All right, it is time for
2: and now. It's time for questions off the grid with fashion is your business. That's right. Off the grid questions where we get uh, a little more personal, a little more off the grid, get to know Lauren as a human. Uh, We keep track of the order of questions with a spin of our great big wheel of grid destiny. And whoever's name comes up in order asks their question. So I'm going to spin the wheel And hopefully the wheel will save Alex from being first. And it does.
3: I'm always I know. It's you ain't
2: first you last. That's right. So
3: (laughs) I don't I don't I don't mind it. She was (laughs) born to be first. The
0: the first question is with Pubbin. Uh all right. Um All right. So, you know, a few years ago, Lauren, I, I went up, uh, I stayed in Nicaragua and I stayed at a place called Rancho Chilamate, and it's a a sanctuary. Um, And I had just the most magical time learning about these horses, spending time with them, riding them, as well as watching them fully like gallop in the wild and i've never seen that before um i'm and, and yeah it was, like look we went on the beach with them like it was just it was a really really special special time yeah but i'm, I'm wondering for you like what has been a standout uh, moment in your life that um that that combined travel and uh equestrian life
1: oh man i don't know i gotta go back to the riding camp when I was a little kid. Alex knows this. My dad's biggest regret in life was sending me to horseback riding camp because it was the gateway to all this <laughs> shit. But like, I don't know, that was magical. It was like I was probably like ten years old. It was the first time I was away from my family. I was very much like, smell you later. Yeah,
0: <laughs> where where was it?
1: it? It's called Black River Farm and Ranch, and it's in mm-hmm. Croswell, Michigan. Cool. And it's just like this girls' riding camp. It was it was just like that's where it all started. It was wonderful.
0: Amazing. And that sets you off on on a whole lifetime journey, I would assume.
1: Yes, it set me up for needing to work really hard to be able to continue to afford having horses in my life.
0: Yeah, I mean, we didn't even talk about your personal relationship, weren't? Yeah. With horses, too.
4: Well,
1: that's that's why I went to law school, because I thought that was the surest way of being able to afford horses again. And then I hated that, so... (laughs)
0: Wow.
2: All right, another spin of the wheel, and... The next question—it's Alex. Alex, you have come up the first time on this show. Your very first off the grid question.
3: So how off the grid can we get? Uh, All the the way. Yeah,
2: yeah, all the way. You have no. You you. There shouldn't be a grid in front front of you. We have been so far off. Oh, there's no
3: grid. Okay, great. Oh, I cannot wait for this because (laughs) I know it's gonna it's gonna tickle Lauren. So as. I think we don't talk about this enough, and it's really interesting because I'm exploring this right now on our podcast, about building relationships, personal relationships as a CEO and founder of a company. No one has time for anything anymore, but now we're in COVID. So as a founder running a company, a CEO, a boss queen, how are you making time to date out in these COVID streets because it has been very interesting for myself, but I'm interested (laughs) about you because you are not in New York. Right. You are not in like a a city that's just about going out and being about, you are in Michigan. So what does that look like for you, Lauren? I am living that monk life. Like there's no,
1: (laughs) are you kidding me? I love it. (laughs) Noses because, like, even before, make that a
3: shirt, please. Living that monk life. I
1: know who's that guy, that Jay Shetty guy who's like talking yep. that book now. Uh, I'm like, you don't even know, Jay.
3: <laughs> you don't even
4: know.
1: <laughs> um, no, like, so I was, so when I was doing Alex's cohort, it was like during COVID, and even before COVID, I was like. I was like this is like this is like isolation station up here. And so it's been interesting. It's I've been here for 2 years and like the whole plan is to be a uh, Michigan by coastal, splitting okay. my time between here and back in New York City. So yeah, it's been crickets, y'all. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Well okay. what's the best way to reach you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know right now. No, we'll five by we'll five. five. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. This could be like a whole like new business model for you guys
3: in your podcast. Yeah. Okay. ASL. Right. Matchmaking <laughs> matchmaking. You know it's Actually, I bet you someone's going to be listening to yep, this and be doing like, that. oh, I got uh, the I got the guy for you. Oh yep. I love
0: her voice.
3: never enough. Age, oh. sex,
0: location. Where yeah. you at? Oh, yes, uh,
3: we will vet you out, though, if you're not amazing. You better come mm-hmm. correct. So if you're listening. Uh, I'm pretty good about
1: vetting out myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you're trying to find out what's in that saddle. No
1: yeah <laughs> oh, oh, true story, like when I do meet a human that I would like to go on a date with up here, which is not very often, um yeah, a lot of things <laughs> what about did? like, you girl, ride it, it's like, oh my God, <laughs> the fiftieth person in i've like, I've
4: heard
0: that once before
4: yeah. <laughs>
1: mm, make you're original. so
4: original
2: original, make Lauren attached again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, another spin of the wheel for whatever crazy reason because maybe it might – oh, it does land on me. Good. Uh, now, I actually had this incredible <laughs> question carved out for you, Lauren, but I've decided to change it because I realized there is something, as someone alluded to, that we've missed out on here, and that is you yourself are an equestrian, right? You you would have to be in order to be in this space.
0: So my question is Wait, hold be, on. I don't know what that means. An equestrian? Okay. Oh, it's like just a – okay
3: Someone who horses. We're
0: horses, yeah got it okay thank so you.
3: it's a fancy way to say it yeah yes It's. is not it that fancy really i don't know you I said a quint. i feel qu- like it sounds very G- gq to me i don't know mark's
0: an insider he goes a quint. i didn't even actually know my, i mean <laughs> I is queen. that plural that's i mean a, a well, very equestrian, nice. But yeah, yeah no so, i hear that that was like yeah. short form is well, my, really good my, my niece, I caught my, niece it.
2: my niece was a, a, a little <laughs> bit of a of a horse uh Prodigy,
4: uh, prodigy. prodigy. So, a little, uh, a little
2: bit of a Bradukihauser <laughs> prodigy. No, she, a she was a prod, was prodigy for a while. I never said Doogie Howser, no one uh,
0: And she and, rides so, three horses at one time. <laughs> she, 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 she,
2: <laughs> you know, Poven mentioned the sort of magical connection he had watching those horses and, and, and being around them. And I know for many people who have a relationship with a horse or horses over time, there, there are just these singular special attachment moments where you, it's just you and your horse and the universe for a moment. Uh, can you touch on a moment that may come to you that you remember that, that maybe you'll always remember this very special moment, with just you and your horse that might come to mind?
1: Yeah, I mean that's super real. I think that's why I think that's why you get people who are just so hardcore about this, right? I mean the joke is like, oh, horse girls are crazy or horse you know, horse girl energy, whatever. But like there the where I notice it is there are these like super quiet moments with them. Um, where it's just like I don't know, it's like a weird thing. I have a dog and she's great, but it's not like the it's not the same. They're just like totally like there's just like this super quiet vibe between you and them and it's like so relaxing it feels very meditative and just like the most soothing place in the world to be when it's just kind of you and them in a quiet moment just like petting them or brushing them it's just I just keep coming back to the word meditative that's what it feels like to be around them their energy is just like they're so in touch with you and it's very special I don't know it's hard to explain
2: Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. To the main matter at hand, how can someone connect with you and follow
0: you? We'll start with, start with age, sex and location before
1: that's
2: you a, uh, a,
0: answer that question, please. So how can people <laughs> connect? Bad. You can, you can point to
2: LinkedIn, social website, email, whatever you want. So.
1: Yeah. LinkedIn is fine. My email attack hack.com is sort of like hard for people to spell. Like you should, Oh my God. It's so annoying. Like spelling that out. I really took a wrong turn in terms of email. So just Lauren Garvey on LinkedIn. I don't know. What's the I have like red hair and I went to Michigan and you'll be able to find me. (laughs) (laughs) Like
2: quiet walks in the rain with my horse. (laughs) Very good. All right. Well, uh, Lauren Garvey, appreciate it so much. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, Congratulations, building something very cool with a lot of promise. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be way bigger the next time we check in with you. Thank you guys
1: so much. This was really fun.
2: All right. uh, That's it for this great episode of Fashion is Your Business. Uh, Until next time. Uh, By the way, we really appreciate you listening. Uh, So until next time for Alex.
3: The Get Shit Done Queen. Bye, (laughs) y'all.
2: And pub and Ball. (laughs) Shake it easy, y'all. I'm Mark Braco. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.
0: This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2020. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.